Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. And we're continuing our... What are we calling? Are we calling it a cavalcade of Kevins? Yeah, I think I think that's the that was the best of our of our options that yes. we came up with. I want to assure the listener that this was okay. It was half an accident <laughs> and half a deliberate decision that we made because we realized we had done this. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I don't want to uh, wash our hands of all responsibility because we were definitely conscious of it and aware uh-huh. of it, even though we did stumble into it largely accidentally. But this week we have on Kevin Hendricks, who uh, I actually met. We're like bonded in podcast weirdness because I met him at Max FunCon East uh, 2016. So it's like, feel like anyone you meet at any like Max FunCon, you're just kind of like forever like soul bound in a way um, <laughs> over this very unexplainable event. Jeez, this sounds like you guys murdered someone together. We did. <laughs> Go to Max FunCon. It's great. You're definitely going to not murder somebody. Don't worry about it. I mean, there was a B incident. Uh, but he decided to talk about uh, sort of neural networks, but kind of just like AI, strange things. Kind of a weird mix of that kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, and also just kind of the nature of why we think things are funny. So we got into kind of more general territory about uh, what makes us laugh as humans. And I, I mean, robots can't laugh, I guess. But if they could, what they would think was funny, maybe. <laughs> you can't, you got to stop giving like the future robot uprising evidence. <laughs> <laughs> like we say so many horrible damning things about robots here like they can't laugh they can't have friends like <laughs> so when the robot uprising happens uh we'll be the first to go but i i mean i don't know if we're going to be the front line to go on the robot uprising i think it's probably going to be people who write fake olive garden commercials and pretend to be robots they might they might go first but uh, i think it's still a ways off and until then we have this conversation to listen to Well, thank you so much for coming on and wanting to talk to us tonight. Yeah, it's my pleasure. If you want to just introduce yourself, uh, talk a little bit about what you do, and then introduce what topic you brought to talk about tonight. Uh, yeah, right on. So uh, my name is Kevin Hendricks. I am an improviser, stand-up comedian, and uh, podcaster from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, yes, we are out here. And um, I, I have brought a topic that's very near and dear to my heart in a way that is strange to me because I cannot explain why my brain enjoys this thing so much um we're gonna talk about jokes by robots or uh machine learning fails uh is a good um uh, a good kind of summary of what i enjoy yeah i think when you described the topic to me initially you used the phrase neural networks which is i think what Mm. a lot of people default to when they think of these types of things exactly uh so i guess maybe uh a little bit of what a neural network is and i'm not a computer scientist i'm just an enthusiast but uh (laughs) What a neural network does is it takes a lot of human input and it searches through whatever algorithm, uh, which is the computer science-y part, uh, for patterns. And then future inputs, it has a guess for which patterns it thinks it's that you're going to follow. So, you know, it, the, the one that everybody's most familiar with and the joke that everybody already loves from my topic is autocorrect fails. Your phone is always trying to guess what you're about to say. And who boy... 
does it have some interesting guesses? I also think of all of those things, and, and like half of it, I don't actually know if it's actually written by a person or not. Right. Which I guess mm-hmm. is maybe the weird yeah. thing about this, where I'm like, are mm-hmm. you just saying this is a computer, but it's actually a person? But like all those, like it's like an Olive Garden commercial or whatever, <laughs> right. like script. Like I see it always in like script format. Right. Yeah. So there was a Twitter meme that went around a few months ago, and this is part of how I realized that this was such a precious thing to me. Uh, was that when people fake it, it's like, girl, I get what you're doing and I hate it. It's like, <laughs> you're ruining my favorite thing. Because uh, it's like, it, it, it's like, uh, it's like dialogue by adults written for children. It's not as cute as when a kid comes up with a dumb thing to say. Like, if, if you just try to pretend like you're a stupid computer who doesn't know what's going on, it's just weird and gross. And I don't know if I'm offended on behalf of the computer or what. But, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of those like, oh, man. I have like a 400 things that I that are all bubbling to the surface at once <laughs> off of this prompt. But so I'm not going to say any of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm blanking now. That was wild. And I'm also sorry for like immediately jumping to opening the sure. can of worms about this yeah. topic versus right. the like right. things that you love about it. <laughs> right. Let's get yeah. into the controversy immediately. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, no. And I don't mean to poo-poo anybody's fun. It's just different, uh, which is fine. You know, uh, different strokes for different folks. But it it does kind of get me to, like, what's beautiful about a a robot doing a bad job, uh, which is that it, there's an innocence to it that is also artifice and it's it's like the super crazy smartest scientists of all time have come up with a robot that thinks that a great recipe is add one egg stir add one egg stir add one egg stir and it's just like <laughs> i mean that sounds like a recipe computer i guess you're following the prompt but <laughs> for the definition of a recipe that is correct but right, right. and like uh you know it, there's there there's there's joy in that and then there's like fearful sci-fi genres of these where like there was this algorithm that came out recently called like GPS2. It's not GPS2. GPS is already an acronym. But oh man, I got to go to my 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 main source for this stuff is this uh, Tumblr blog called AI Weirdness, which I cannot recommend enough because they come out with weekly ones where either they, it's Janelle Shane is the author of this, but she uh, comes out with a weekly chunk of things that are like either things that other people have created or neural nets that she has trained to make ridiculous stuff but um yeah there's this this algorithm called gpt2 uh that is sort of the the evil science version of of this fun thing i like that it crawled the whole internet for like 30 million pages and it examined this huge block of what people are writing and it can write Mm -hmm. really convincing stuff like let me read you an example of its work like now i'm navigating tumblr which i appreciate is podcast gold (laughs) so uh, for example gpt2 what they told it was and this is like a nerfy version the scientists who came up with this were like we released a version that has like half of the rules that we built and we don't want to release the full version because it's too powerful and we think people will ruin the internet oh okay (laughs) uh cool but but the dumb version of gpt2 the prompt was so somebody typed into the robot the black cap chickadee is a small songbird native to and gpt2 responded the black capped chickadee is a small songbird native to africa that is powerfully seductive in the songs of barry sexton (laughs) harry holness and alan emerson the black cap chickadee competes with others and climbs on top of each other and fights with high-powered snakes emperor jockeys and mysterious (laughs) unicorns and it's like 
<laughs> it's bananas. It's off the wall. But like all of those things sound like a description of a bird. Like it's framed in the right way. They told this machine, Harry wished that Hermione would hurry up. The icing was beginning to harden. And it responded, even now the cracks only hurt and were beginning to make the steel in her hair and tie in like clumps. Hermione sipped the bitter frost from her dinner and chewed on her eating soup. So it's not that scary. This one is not that scary. But it said, like, Darth Vader entered the room, cape billowing. What is the meaning of these festivities? And its response was, strange and solemn now. Princess Leia replied, like, it knows that Princess Leia is a related concept. But then it it proceeds to say, will pirates make jokes at Jabba's birthday cake? Oh. Oh, and for a moment, Darth Vader was too full of himself for that ceremony. Hence all the mirth. See, I just want to see this, and I want right. this yeah. scene to exist in real life. Yeah, yeah. and there was actually a movie written by an AI that was produced. I think Thomas Middleditch did this. It was like two or three years ago where they did like a short sci-fi film. It was written by a robot, and they played it like totally straight-faced, which it's just the better that these things do. And like it, it's related to the Uncanny Valley concept where as robots get closer to humans, it's more endearing. But then if they get too close, it's awful. But then if they're perfect, it's great. And and some of this stuff dips into there, I think, with GPT-2. But one really, really hopeful article that uh, they put out later was robots like this are really good at spotting other robots like this. Because, uh, like, all of the rules that it's thinking about for, like, if I say, hello, my name is, it knows all the different things that came after that. And it knows the best guess. And so if somebody says the best guess, then the robot is like, I bet you're just guessing. So they, they, they've trained robots to find the other robots. And there's just this whole war of AIs going on around us, pinging across the Internet at the speed of thought. So that's wonderful to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, another part of this that, that's really interesting to me as, as like an improviser is, is one of the things that, that I do is this show called comedy sports where it's all short form improv games where it's like, you'll do a scene that has like weird little rules or gimmicks. And sort of the comedy of it is not like, oh, look how clever I am that I can play this gimmick. It's sort of like, where does that rub up against the idea that, oh, we're here doing a show and we're trying to say things that make sense? And just like, there's so much humor that sort of pours out when you rip at those seams, like with rules. Like, uh, there was an episode of The Illusionist that uh, had this whole description of all of these authors who write with ridiculous constraints, like somebody who had to write a whole book whose first half was a, uh, an anagram of the second half of the book. And it's almost like having a collaborator that you create yourself where you make different decisions because of the rules. But that's that's what the robot inspires me to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listening to the, the scenes that you were reading, I, I think it, it is weirdly obvious the difference between the scenes like that that were written by an AI or a neural network and the ones that were written by a person who was kind of trying to sound like it. Right. Because it's almost like the version, the human version of absurdism is kind of simultaneously too absurd and not absurd enough yes uh, like you can tell it makes it, it makes it feel especially when they're trying to make it funny like it feels like it's straining so much to be funny that you know it's it's like when a child tells a joke
joke that doesn't make sense, it's hysterical because their logic is operating in a different way than an adult's telling a bad joke. So it's not the same thing as a bad joke. It's a different kind of joke. Yeah. And it's it's there's like the comedy of the unexpected. And that's that's all well and good. Like, I love Mad Libs as much as anybody. And this is the computers playing Mad Libs. But the part that goes deeper for me where I think that I become more of an enthusiast than a sort of casual enjoyer of this stuff is that you can sometimes for yourself kind of reverse engineer like what was it thinking like why did it guess that like there's a really fascinating example where they were trying to get a computer to produce jpegs of cats so they had it look at a bunch of pictures of cats uh, from the internet. And the picture that it put out is this horrible, mutated, awful cat with like one tiny eye and one huge eye and no ear. But it also has impact font on the top and the bottom that's like <laughs> U-S-I-R-I-N-E-S-M-O-D. And like it's nonsense words, but it thinks that the impact font from memes is part of what a cat is. <laughs> So like, yeah, it's funny that it's a mutant cat, but the idea that a computer was like, oh yeah, cat, that's that thing from memes. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's wild. And and the more that it's sort of like things that you're familiar with that a computer is trying to approximate, it gets funnier. Like probably my very favorite example of this of all time was there was a project to make magic cards, Magic the Gathering, a, a game by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, <laughs> they wanted to make magic cards using a neural net. So so they had it look at all the magic cards and it came up with all these bonkers things like it, it didn't understand like sort of how to balance the cards or how to you know make them fun or fit them to whatever but like some of the themes of like the different mechanics that are associated with different colors were right because it could notice that pattern and like the funniest part of it was it came up with new mechanics and then it would apply those to different cards so one of them that it came up with was trample which is like, <laughs> it's different from trample which is a thing in magic the gathering where like the extra damage you do goes to the player but trample was something that i think was like creatures like become flying in the middle of their attack and then gain like plus two plus three and it was just bonkers because it would just tag it on to extra extra cards and it would be like oh yeah this one it's got death touch lifelink trample you know <laughs> You know what trample is. And like, there was another one that it came up with called, um, so you, maybe you're familiar with Magic the Gathering, but I'll, I'll key in the audience. There's a mechanic called like walk, where it's like the, the kind of terrain you have and then walking. So like, if I'm a red deck, I have mountains and there might be creatures that have mountain walk. And if I own mountains, I can't block creatures that walk through mountains, obviously. It's like a weird mechanic from way back in the day. But the computer saw that and thought it was awesome. So it came up with its own mechanic called Moynton Spalk. <laughs> 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 which is just bizarre and like it never told it never defined what Morton Spalk was like just judging by the rules of Magic the Gathering it was creatures can't be blocked if they can spalk through whatever Mortons you have and like it's wild because you know if you just say some nonsense words about Magic the Cards Magic the Cards and I'm like oh yeah this creature's got Blinkle Blank it's not as funny as fucking Trump like the computer changed one letter and it's, it's 
It's <laughs> devastating. Like I cannot to this day. Like I, I, I had to rehearse earlier today so I could say the word Moynton Spalk without <laughs> stopping to laugh like hideously for a minute and a half, just thinking of Moynton's to Spalk. And it's just like what? I, I, I'll never come up with anything as good as that. And a computer was trying to make a magic card. And it's just, it's mind-blowing, these these things. It is very much like the, the logic of a really young child. Because, like, yeah. my brother, um, I, I was, t- he's older than I am, so I was not present for this happening or don't remember it. But apparently he had trouble with past, past tenses of words. Mm-hmm. So instead of, he thought it was, instead of drive and drove, he thought it was drooven. Okay. <laughs> so, like, we drooven there. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, so it's like it's that weird kind of being able to recognize the patterns, but not understanding all of the other kinds of logical patterns that influence that pattern to make it make sense. Right. To the extent that English as a language makes any sense, which it certainly doesn't. It's like, here's a jigsaw puzzle and you don't know what it's supposed to look like. And here, put the jigsaw puzzle together and then you make a box instead right. yeah. like, right. with the jigsaw <laughs> puzzle. It's having all the information, but none of the context. So yeah. the thing that results is something you couldn't even like fathom. And I I'm going to be laughing forever <laughs> about... <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> what was, like, your introduction to these kinds of... This kind of, I guess, humor? Like, was there a specific thing that you saw? Or, like, a specific, like, algorithm thing that had popped up and, like, got you interested in this sort of thing? I think it was it was the, the magic card set that really kind of taught me that this was a genre of comedy that that tickles my brain in a very specific and odd way and then you know later on like keying into that like i i was like looking for that magic the gathering things because i i was playing another game of magic with somebody and i was like oh my god you have to laugh with me about moint and spalk or else i'll seem completely <laughs> insane just giggling <laughs> over here at this creature with mountain walk and trample and like in searching for that like i found this website ai weirdness that hits me up with a, a hit of this stuff every week and that tumblr uh really gets into a lot of sort of the tech behind it that kind of made me realize like it's more interesting kind of than just oh the computer's bad at this like autocorrect sucks and it's funny that it sucks but that's that that's the joke whereas when you can sort of get at the rules that it's picking apart and the way that it's playing more than it's guessing that makes it really fascinating the pie in the sky future imagination like is this the way the world is going to work is crazy like the smarter these algorithms get the less fun it gets and the more useful it gets because like a lot of this is like back in the 70s they did this thing with antibiotic prescribing where you could plug in a whole survey of a patient's chart that has like what diseases do they have how did their labs come back what's their temperature height weight and it it'll spit back like give them this drug uh rather than like an all-encompassing antibiotic and the idea was to make people make the right decision about like how strong of an antibiotic do you really need to not make superbugs and this computer in the 70s like working off of whatever computer they could run it through on the 70s was better than doctors at prescribing. They had infection preventionists and antimicrobial stewardship doctors who like professed in this stuff were the ones who judged if it was right or not. But the general practitioners and hospitalists and whatever couldn't guess as good as the computer like back in the 70s. So there's a lot of this stuff about like, oh, they're automating all these different jobs and everything that computers 
can get there. But in the meantime, we have these growing pains where they come up with stuff like Trample. Yeah, it, it, it's there's there's a weird sort of uh, beauty to it where they're they're really trying to create these human ideas about like creativity and language and thought. And it's really making digital a lot of things that you never would think about. Because, like, it's totally natural to me that I read words, they come in a certain order, and they have, like, a rhythm to them that I'm expecting. And if a computer tries to guess at that and messes it up, that that's like, oh, yeah, a computer. But if a computer can get that, then it sets you up to laugh at the things that it can't get right along with it. Are, are, as a comedian, are you concerned that that AI is going to replace you in comedy <laughs> or do you just assume that like as as these things get better that the thing that they'll that they will they will not learn is how to be funny because they're only funny when it isn't deliberate right um yeah i don't know i've i've seen a post about specifically it was trying to write jokes and it was still way off so i'm good there also like comedy has this huge like bone to pick about originality where like if you're copying other people's stuff and just riffing on it people really don't like that like all of the all of the comedians who are sort of exalted by like the system of stand-up comedy for better or worse are people who have really original wild out there ideas like nobody these days is doing richard pryor and getting famous from it like there's a million open mic comedians who are doing richard pryor and they're great at the open mic fine but like you couldn't run a bunch of comedians through a computer and come up with like oh i'm sort of doing like a weird mashup of all of these people with no real kind of stuff and it is like the other part of it i think is that it's a commentary on a real lived life is one of the only things that makes comedy worth a shit like truth in comedy was was del close's whole thing and a, a computer doesn't have truth. A computer has approximations. And, you know, a lot of people will laugh at things that aren't true, that are just silly. And that's fine. But, like, the real deep stuff, the things that stick with you, the, like, moving, beautiful things that make comedy worth doing, you know, your Parks and Recs or your 30 Rocks or, like, any of that sort of genre, people who all came out of that Chicago improv idea of, like, be honest and let your characters have, like, real life and real feelings. When you connect with characters like that, it makes you enjoy the comedy jokes of it more. <laughs> comedy jokes, that's yeah. a technical term. I don't know if I should do <laughs> A lot of jargon. But I don't think that a computer ever has that. Because a computer doesn't... It's not born. It doesn't have friends. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe one day. I don't know. This will be the first like thing of like, like when computers do become sentient, they'll be like, oh, Kevin said that computers don't have friends. Yes. Like... <laughs> exactly. I'll be the first against the wall. And like, maybe, you know, and I don't... I also don't want to be one of those guys who's like, uh, you know, 30 years from now, they're like, here's comedian Kevin Hendricks on a podcast saying that I don't think that computers will ever be born. Isn't that silly? Hold class of computers who were born <laughs> like the guys who are like you know i don't i think three or four computers would do it for the world <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, i don't I, I i don't pretend to know what's coming down the line but right. i feel like there is there is something about good comedy that 
is unattainable. Because, like, what's funny about these computers messing up is that it reminds us of our childhood. It reminds us of, like, real struggles and awkwardness that we have and how it's okay because a super smart thing messes it up and it messes it up in a way that is recognizable. Like, I can see where you went wrong and it's funny. We can laugh about it together and we can improve uh, rather than just like, ha, dumb computer, dumb, which is what, like, a lot of those stupid tweets are about. They're just like, Olive Garden sucks. <laughs> Isn't that great breadstick? Oh, I'm like a computer. No, it's not. That's not it at all. That's silly and fun, but it doesn't teach us about ourselves. <laughs> So, you know, you can you can hang on that for for a tweet's length, but I, I don't think that I'm going to, uh, I, I you know, there's there's a difference between this and absurdism. And even absurdism is its own is its own beautiful art form, like nothing against Salvatore Dali. He took real concepts and, and bent them in a way that people hadn't imagined. It was super cool. I, I don't mean to disparage Salvatore Dali. Uh, <laughs> he and I go way back. Now he's I coming for you, to too. Him and the robots. <laughs> robot Salvatore Dali is going to get you. <laughs> Classic predicament. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, and I think that that is an element that I don't know that a computer can do. Like Seinfeld was funny because he was making jokes about everybody's everyday lived experience. Like, oh, look, they put the little book on the table. Why is it a little book? <laughs> the 90s happened. There was a kernel of this sort of modern idea of truth in comedy. And I mean, truth in comedy is an idea that's not modern. That it's from like the, God, I think they invented improv in like the 70s. But Seinfeld, when he crafted that idea of like, let's laugh about something that we've all come to accept as a normal pattern, it's picking at the same core idea of what is funny is that idea of like manipulating things. And looking at him in a way that it feels wrong. Like, the thing that the computer and that Seinfeld have in common is that they're making us re-examine things in a weird way. And Seinfeld was doing it on purpose, and the computer is only doing it because it's breaking. So, I think comedy is safe for now. But, like, here's an excerpt of a computer trying to uh, mimic dream journals. So, this is a dream a computer pretended to have. It said, I noticed my car is now a tennis ball. I'm a beautiful, chubby, big bathtub. There's a water gun and a clown <laughs> wall and another coconut object. I shake my cheek and say, oh, I respect sleeping in a large metal cart and record cards. I see a huge enemy dress with a small platform of wooden occasional people. Then my teeth are in Colorado. It has stairs <laughs> over Derek's address and his name is a plastic sandwich. I see a lovely magligated creature with a raging red pedicles and jock leaves. And there you go. That, that to me is a as good as like the Jabberwocky at least <laughs> it makes no sense it's written by no one and yet it feels like a poem <laughs> it's, it's it's wild <laughs> well and it's funny the the contrast that I've been thinking of is that the human element of comedy is which is what really connects us to you know people's anecdotes or a TV show or something isn't something that can be replicated by a computer but that level of blatant RNG basically <laughs> can't is something that can't be replicated by a human because right. then it comes off as fake you know so it's like it's this weird like dynamic of these two different these two different things that are both inherently very funny and neither of them can do what the other one's doing right and it is like it's it's sort of a union of that is probably the funniest where you know like particularly i i keep plugging this blog and you really should get at it but she has a style where she's talking about it and kind of explaining like the setup of why it's funny that there's all these silly 
things written down and that everybody can learn from that and laugh at it and enjoy like what's going on. That's the sweet spot. That's my guilty treasure. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) So if this, um, if this, the rise of AI is not apparently, at least for the near future, going to create uh, a race of robot super comedians. What what do you think has been the takeaway for you from this this hobby with what you're actually doing in your real life doing comedy? Have you have you learned anything about what's funny and why has it has it influenced the the way that you do comedy? Uh, I don't know. Um, there's the idea that the rules produce something bigger than your just wild ideas because like free verse poetry is beautiful, but it's sort of built on the supposition that language is in and of itself enough rules for your brain uh, to kind of create something that sounds and means things in in a pleasing way, uh, I guess, is how I would define poetry. But then you also have the tradition of like a sonnet or whatever, a sonnet or whatever, uh, (laughs) said Shakespeare, that has these incredibly stringent rules where even the idea of trying to put your ideas into 10 syllable chunks changes the ideas that you have like i listened to a podcast called song exploder where they were talking to rivers cuomo from weezer and Mm -hmm. i realized that every time you guys ask me a question i have wound up so far afield i don't even (laughs) anyway but (laughs) it's okay but but rivers cuomo talks about how he writes lyrics where he has a spreadsheet of fun sounding combinations of words And he has it organized by, like, the number of syllables and the stress on the syllables, which sounds like something a serial killer would do. (laughs) But he also talks about how he writes all of his vocal parts on the guitar. And he writes all of his guitar solos by singing. Per him, he does this so that you can sing along to the guitar solo and so that, you know, he has the extra challenge to sing the verses that he wouldn't, like, it's not a comfortable thing for him to sing. It's it's a comfortable thing for him to play on the guitar. So, like, you know, the way that he chooses, like, fifths and minors and harmonies and all kinds of, like, musical theory gets synthesized by the idea that there are these two modes that your brain can be in for playing guitar or for coming up with vocal melodies. So that lesson goes back to the computer a little bit because it's all about rules and do the rules make something better? Like, are the McElroys better when they're doing Adventure Zone or when they're doing Mabimbam? It's because there are rules. That's the difference is that their advice show, it was, you know, turned into this crazy funny thing because they sort of shed the rules of an advice show. But then the Adventure Zone became this crazy, amazing, beautiful thing because they followed the rules that when Justin cast a spell, like, that happened. So you kind of, kind of two different ways going, and the computer follows the rules. Weezer, uh, McElroy's, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I think it makes sense. I do think I do think it connects. You're saying it's far afield. I don't, I don't think it is at all. I mean, I think um, a lot of people, when they start in the arts uh, in college, their first inclination is, oh, man, I don't want to learn about the rules because I want to immediately break them, which is always, you know, in writing classes or in film classes, that tends to be the way that people lean, that they're so excited to get to the point of doing something different because they think that simply doing something different than what everyone else is doing makes it better. But to some extent, you know, if you know the rules, you know how to break them and you know where to break them and you know when to use them in ways that are unexpected or, you know, I mean, so something like Weezer deciding to use the rules for guitar, but then trying to enforce those rules 
on your voice, which changes what you do. Like if you had been writing that part a different way, you wouldn't have made those choices. It does seem extremely relevant. From what you've described, that's how these AI networks function is, you know, knowing the rules. But then because it doesn't have the context of how the rules work in the world, it just breaks them naturally. Right. And it's sort of it's working off a version of the rules that it is kind of intuited through like just observing patterns. Like when you learn the rules of how sounds are made in linguistics, suddenly you get why people misheard you every time. Like if I say like M's and B's are both bilabial sounds, like you make them on both of your lips. So to hear like mom or bomb uh, and to mishear that, it's because those sounds are being made in a very similar way. And so, like, once you realize that, you kind of see the humor in, like, when the M's and B's get switched around or even stuff like that, where I think that the robot is just listening for M's and B's and it's getting mixed up because it doesn't get that those are both bilabial sounds. It just knows that people make that mistake a lot, so it is not as worried about that mistake, maybe. Uh, Like, when you're translating things from English to Spanish, like, you wind up with lots of different things where you can almost tell when a Spanish speaker is making a specific error in English or when an English speaker is making a specific error in Spanish because they are bringing so much of those rules from their native language into the new one that they're making like there's kind of a tell. And I think that, that that's the same kind of deal that it's it's sort of fun to puzzle out when a computer does the same thing where if it's looking at recipes it's like why does it keep saying half an egg half an egg half an egg and it's because almost every baking recipe has a number of eggs in there and almost every step has like a fraction of whatever the ingredient is so you know rather than knowing the rules of like baking has eggs and flour and sugar and you bake them it knows the rules of each step of this will have a fraction and an ingredient <laughs> It's just like, it's like, no, that's not how this works at all. And it's like, yeah. but, but sort of. And you're like, oh, robot, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. You, you can kind of approach that both ways where, you know, you, you got to remember like what you're putting out in the world and what people are expecting and then shaking that up. That that's where a lot of comedy comes from. And I guess, I don't know if I've ever done that consciously, but I can, I can see how they're connected to one another. Does almost knowing how the sausage gets made for these kinds of neural networks, does that make them funnier to you or, or more interesting rather than if you just like approach this comedy and, and was like, Oh, okay. A computer did this. And I don't know how it did it, but it did like, does having that extra really in-depth understanding of why, it's doing it and how it's doing it make it more enjoyable for you i think to a point like i i think this stuff is super interesting and you know the applications uh in medicine are really cool or any field where you have discrete data points like you know they use this stuff a lot in like marketing where they're like here are all of the items that sold extra when they were on the top shelf the robot notices that and it decides like oh, these are top shelf items because that'll maximize sales. Like there's all kinds of creepy, horrible stuff. This is why just raw data is so valuable and why all these tech companies want every little scrap of data that you can possibly produce is because they're plugging them into things like this where they just look at all of this stuff and just listen like they're a non-native speaker watching television and just trying to pick up the patterns and then spit it out. And like, I don't have any interest in how that works. Right. (laughs) Like, I don't care. 
I get the concept and I get how that leads to, you know, better uh, public transit and more organized stores and cleaner things and like shorter work schedules for people, which is a tool of the corporate elite to rob us of our labor while still reaping all of the rewards and like all of this stuff that like I don't need to know how like there's there's a lot of like sort of math and logic behind how it's interpreting all of these things. And I've never, maybe it will be super cool, but that sounds like a black hole that I just don't want to even go into uh, math-wise. So I, 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 would, I, would, I would peg my interest at, like, medium. Yeah, no, I understand that. <laughs> just enough to be dangerous. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, I get what's going on. Do I want to yeah. learn how to do it myself? No, I am an appreciator <laughs> of this. <laughs> yeah, so is this something that, that has come up in conversation? I mean, you, you mentioned about playing magic with friends and, and needing to explain to them why you were laughing for no reason. But, like, is this something that you have felt compelled to share with people at all? Like, is it... Have you, you know, been at a bar or something been like, hang on, I need to I need to show you this thing so that we can laugh about it together? Is it just sort of a a alone late at night when you need something funny to look at kind of deal? So, yeah, it's 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 more like a private thing because I almost don't recognize like myself reacting to these just insane things that computers say. Like it, it makes you feel like you're losing your grip on what words mean and what pictures are <laughs> and what kind of stuff there is and there's like there's this weird giggle that comes up inside of me it's like from almost a different part of my head or a different part of my brain than things that usually make me laugh and like you can read out loud all you want like oh this computer thought that a good name for a bird was the flarfiddled grouse and it's like okay cool thanks for saying nonsense words at me but you almost have to have that headspace of like reading along and expecting things and then aha the computer said something totally different than you were expecting and so it's not it's not a super like memeable chunk of stuff it plays with so many of the rules that it takes so much context and so much explanation like you can't fully under i mean you can kind of understand so there's different levels right so you can kind of understand why trample is a silly word. And then you can understand what trample does. And you can get that that's a magic card. And it's funny that it made something that sounded kind of like a magic card, but absolutely wasn't. And then that third level is to get like, oh, it sees that there are all of these cards that have specific words written on them that are red, but cards that aren't red don't have that word. But I want to come up with a new word that'll go on cards that aren't red, that's like trample, but isn't. How about a blue card called trample? And it's like, <laughs> no, why? <laughs> the whole like insane logic of the computer that makes so much sense that it is created nothing uh <laughs> it's just that's so fun to me it's hard i guess to almost share that with people because it is it is kind of like letting go like understanding things on all these different levels and sort of then just laughing at how it all came out weird and dumb <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean it's almost like if you if you were to approach somebody with this and tell them hey this is going to be funny that it might not be as funny because it seems like a lot of the joke is in the the, the sudden left turn from your expectations into something that's really strange and not at all what you expected or kind of what you expected but turned sideways in a way that you didn't see coming. Yeah, part of it is coming into it with a specific way to read 
things like understanding magic cards, understanding recipes. Like there was a, there's a super cool thing about the people who follow this AI weirdness blog where they'll spend their real human waking hours trying to recreate what the machine wanted. Uh, so like there was a there was a post that they made where they made knitting patterns and people knitted what the robot did and the the insane blobs that people <laughs> knitted that had this like weird structure that some ungodly math combined with this whatever weird loops come out of knitting uh just all sort of like coalesced into these these like really ugly things and it's it's wild to see something go from like something as ancient as knitting that is passed down for generations through oral history and written and then created and then put out into the world as like uh, a pattern, a recipe almost. And then a computer sees 500 million of these and goes, I get it. Here's garbage. <laughs> and then people are like, hey, cool garbage. Let's use all of that centuries of wizardry to make weird blobs. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's this cycle of like art to garbage back to art again. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have like a good way to put a pin on it, but I am also just like fascinated by this. Yeah. By that reaction. And I think it's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good question, actually. Do you think it's art? Is the stuff that, that these AIs spit out, is it art? Um, I, hmm, I don't know. I think that in a very loose way, yes. And it's more that. So part of what I've learned in improv is that. The cool thing about it is it changes the way that you think about yourself and the way that you listen to people and the way that you express yourself uh, in regards to other people's ideas as a collaborator. And so you learn all of this stuff and then you get on stage for comedy sports and you, you sing a song about how sandwiches are too expensive. And the art is not just that goofy song. The art is this idea that we lived this whole life as a child and then we translated that into being an adult with all of these expectations for how things are supposed to go and then we broke that down in improv class and then we took all that goofy garbage and made it into a thing that feels like a show but then it's about sandwiches uh <laughs> and and the art is not all just that show the art is that journey to be as fucking cliche and obtuse <laughs> as possible the art is that whole process so you know the idea that that you can create a computer that breaks down all of these laws that we have for how to think about the things we're seeing and reading and whatever and then spits out something that you can you know consume and and kind of get what went wrong like that 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 whole sort of 4d process is the mm -hmm. art uh in, in a way i'm doing a lot of, i'm doing a lot of like hand graphing while i describe this like there's a lot of i'm like oh there's a timeline here and then here's where <laughs> art, art happens and then there's this show see i see that makes me very happy because every time we do this show i vanna white to nobody <laughs> like i'm just sitting here in the dark moving like gesticulating wildly for for no one's benefit of my own um right so that you know solidarity there <laughs> 
And if you have anything to wrap up on, my brain is kind of, I now I'm just like really, I'm like, oh yeah, man, I love it. That's the process. <laughs> it's just, I, I mean, I'm a sucker for all that stuff. Right so on. like, I'm yeah. just like, I love it. It's warm fuzzies, but. Yeah, I might have kind of killed it with a bit of a heady question there about whether or not, they, what defines what art is. Oh. But, <laughs> well, yeah. I have, I have a question a for one. you. What art isn't? <laughs> Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, I think I think that's as much as I've ever thought about it and talked about it in a row. So <laughs> that's good. I guess I'll wrap up on this, which is kind of a question that we typically ask sort of people, which is like, if you were trying to pitch this concept or this this idea of like these computer, uh, what's the... I'm trying to think of a good way, like unintentional. Jo- oh, I set off my Alexa. <laughs> oh no, the oh, roads really no. have come for you. <laughs> right. It sounds like you're trying to report a podcast where you usurp <laughs> me with your human language. I don't appreciate that. Oh no, now she wants to guess with us. <laughs> okay. Being replaced. <laughs> Typically, we kind of ask people to pitch the concept that they've brought to to someone else of like, if you've never given this a shot, what's your elevator pitch to someone? So like what if you were trying to like sell someone on the idea of these like unintentional computer generated jokes, how would you do that? So I think both a great primer and introduction is the blog that I've mentioned a million times, AIWeirdness.com, that really breaks down beyond just the silliness of a computer throwing stuff at the walls and seeing what sticks is to kind of get behind the throwing machine and, and the sticky stuff jar and really describe what's happening without getting into all like data science. Like the person who makes this blog is a real data scientist who makes cool stuff, but they're also a really excellent writer who can kind of say why it's interesting uh, to people who don't care about coding things. <laughs> um, and the the kind of bait there is all of the wacky, goofy stuff. But then once you get into how that stuff was created, you start realizing that we're playing with the patterns of life and art and, and thought. <laughs> so I guess that's that's kind of that's sort of the the yawning portal of of the rabbit hole uh, <laughs> it, it, is that is that particular tumbler. Do you want do you want a surprise last minute question? Yeah, yeah, obvi- <laughs> obviously. You have just been given control of the most powerful neural network in the world. What would you ask it to generate? Oh my goodness. Uh so I think that it's like, do I want it to succeed or do I want it to fail spectacularly? <laughs> I think that probably my favorite one that I've seen is uh, robots trying to come up with the opening lines of songs by looking at like the, the Billboard top songs and just taking the opening line and then writing its own <laughs> using whatever patterns it can find. So I would love... Uh, a Spotify that was just a computer guessing what lyrics sounded like. That would be so much fun. Just goofy, weird uh, lyrics where it's like, oh man, that's that's such a good song about how Darth Vader <laughs> put all those eggs in there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much uh, for for enlightening us on this on yeah. this hidden comedy gem that <laughs> I don't think either of us truly understood until this moment. 
And and now you get why those Olive Garden tweets were so offensive. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it all back around. <laughs> but yeah, well, thank you for your time and yeah, everything. Thank you. This was amazing. Where can people find you on the internet? What projects do you have to plug or want to plug? You don't have to plug anything, <laughs> but what projects do you want to plug? Probably my most important creative thing that you can enjoy super good right now uh, is uh, a podcast that I do with my wife called Chatimals. It's, uh, it's a comedy... It's it's the world's only comedy and nature podcast. Uh, it's like Ranger Rick for grownups. Uh, we have a whole segment about how they bang. And I've learned so many weird things that no one ever dared tell me about animals uh, on that one. Um, then also I'm launching a Blades in the Dark actual play podcast later this month. Uh, we just recorded the first episodes and it was super fun. And I got to like paint the logo and write the theme song. And just like there's there's all these different creative things that I got to put into that. So I would be remiss if I I didn't like say hey, I put hundreds of hours of work into this. Please listen for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I've got going on now. I also produce the Quizbox podcast. It's a it's a live comedy panel show, kind of like QI, and that's that's recorded live in Columbus every month, and then it comes out as a podcast. And I sometimes host it. I always produce it. Well, thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you, and have a wonderful day. Let hey. your inner <laughs> dragon. Uh, God, slumber <laughs> hotly. Damn it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> now we gotta change our outro. Now we're gonna, now it's gonna be that. <laughs> We've done, you know, what, 20 some episodes, and now we're just gonna switch it up. Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. If you're going to be in the Chicago area on May 17th, I will be at the Podcasting Ideas Workshop that is being held at the Michigan Avenue Apple Store at 6.30 p.m., which is being presented by the hosts of Hello from the Magic Tavern. Uh, I'll be there illustrating while they say entertaining and insightful things about starting a podcast, so if that's something that's interesting to you, uh, check it out if you can. In lieu of our normal closing this week, we've collaborated with a neural network to present you with this recipe for sugar salsa. You will need four eggs, three liters of red wine, six tablespoons of crumb fresh, seven pounds of sugar. Step one, juggle the eggs. Two, heat a heavy bottom pan over a medium heat for two minutes and add the red wine. Three, beat the crumb fresh. Four, follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. Five, soak the sugar. Six, cut the sugar into ribbons. Seven, email the sugar ribbons to guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Step eight, inflate the eggs. Nine, pour the creme fraiche into Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice as a review. Ten, grate the sugar. Eleven, the next instruction is a lie. Twelve, spray the creme fraiche over the eggs. Thirteen, weigh the sugar. And until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. Yum. (laughs) 